Welcome to the Virginia Economic Review Podcast. This is Jason L. Kuby, President and CEO of the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Our guest today is Dr. Renee Rogers, head curator at the Birthplace of Country Music Museum in Bristol, where she focuses on the museum's permanent and special exhibits and other education programming and the museum's collections. Renee, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Can you tell us a bit about Bristol's place in country music history? How did the city of Bristol contribute to the growth of this incredible musical tradition? At the time of the 1920s and 1930s, record labels were searching out what they called at the time hillbilly music, and what we think of as early country music, old-time, traditional tunes. Before 1927, a lot of that recording was taking place in the major studios for those record labels. So places like New York City, Atlanta, Georgia, Richmond, Indiana. But because there was a change in technology around 1925-1926 that made the recording technology more portable, record labels were starting to look at places where they could go out for location recording sessions. One of those sessions was here in Bristol in 1927. We're not the first hillbilly recordings. A lot of people assume that because we're called the birthplace of country music museum. It's about the first recordings, but it's more about the significance of the recordings that happened here in 1927 and how they influenced that early commercial country music. What made Bristol so significant is, first off, that change in technology. It meant that the records that were produced were more sellable because they sounded better, the sound was more balanced, more nuanced, just because that electric amplification and electric technology meant that there was better quality records produced. The other thing was is that the record producer who came here from the Victor Talking Machine Company, Ralph Peer, was a real visionary. He knew the kind of music he was looking for. He knew what would sell well. He was good at marketing and distributing it. But he also sort of changed or the way he approached the music here in Bristol, signing those artists so that they got paid for recording a side. They got $50 per side, which is side of the record. And they also got royalties. But he also signed copyright deals. So he had copyrights on the performance, copyrights on the song so that they were being published by his own personal music publishing company. And that's really very foundational to the way the music industry works today. Jimmy Rogers, who's now known as the father of country music, and the Carter family, who are now known as the first family of country music, the first time they recorded ever was here in Bristol. That perfect storm of events of technology, visionary record producer, artists and songs that came together in Bristol just made them really significant and set that foundation for the early commercial country music industry. What's cool about Bristol is that it's not only that 1927 history that connects to country music. Later in the 1940s and 50s, one of our radio stations in Bristol WCYB had a great show called Farm and Fun Time, which is where quite a few of the bluegrass legends that we know of, like Ralph Stanley, Jim and Jesse McReynolds, Earl Scruggs, all of them played on that show, some of them really building some of their early career there. Today, our radio station that is based in the museum's permanent exhibits, Radio Bristol, continues that Farm and Fun Time legacy with our own Farm and Fun Time show and other country and old-time music. Bristol itself is contributing to that legacy today. You know, we're sharing that content widely via the museum and then the radio. We have the Bristol Rhythm and Roots Reunion Music Festival every year. We're in our 21st year this year. Plus, we partner with the Heritage Music Trails, the Crooked Road in Virginia, and also the Music Trail in Tennessee. Most recently, we have had the Mississippi Music Trails put a marker in Bristol about Jimmy Rogers, and we are hoping to put a marker about the 1927 Bristol Sessions down in Mississippi. How did things evolve after that in Bristol, and what's the sort of country music culture of Bristol today? 
After the 1927 Bristol Sessions recordings, which were so important, Ralph Peer did come back here in 1928 trying to remake that magic. Ernest Stoneman recorded again here. The Stoneman family is hugely foundational again to country music up to and through like the 1960s and 70s and even today, you know. So the continuation of working with Ralph Peer and Ernest Stoneman continuing to work together is significant. He also recorded some songs that have made their place as Appalachian standards and harken back to this old time music. But despite the fact that those recordings were made here, Bristol didn't become a center for country music recording at that time. That history has been very influential on Bristol staying a hub for live performance. And you can definitely see that today. And that's not just in country music, that's in a wide variety of music. But on the countryside, you know, Bristol Rhythm and Roots reunion, like I said, is in its 21st year. That has grown from a festival of four to 5,000 people attending to a festival of 40,000 people attending. And that is really looking at the roots and branches of this early music and how it's evolved today. When you go to that festival, you're going to hear country music, you're going to hear old time, bluegrass, ballads, but you're also going to hear other roots music like African-American blues and gospel. You're going to hear Americana. You're going to hear where it started, how it's evolving and what it might become. So that's really exciting to us because it's sort of running the whole gamut of the type of music that started here and that has grown from it. Our radio station, Radio Bristol, has over 30 unique programs that embraces this history and the music of that history, but also then, like I said, is looking to the future and to the present and sharing sort of how that music is evolving and developing today. The museum itself is filled with performance on a regular basis, both through Radio Bristol and through the museum's public programming. We also have some amazing venues downtown like Paramount Bristol, which is actually on the Tennessee side of State Street, and then the Cameo on the Virginia side of State Street, both of which are big live music performance venues. But there's also multiple places in our downtown and within Bristol itself that are sharing this type of music. The other thing that's really cool to me is how some of the businesses downtown are embracing the music. For instance, we have a music school downtown that teaches different types of music performance from singing to guitar to ukulele. We also have places like the Ernest Tube, which is a live direct to lacquer recording studio. And they on their website, talk about being inspired by the 1927 Bristol Sessions and doing that direct to lacquer recording that harkens back to those 1920s and 30s recordings. Can you talk a little bit more about what the Crooked Road is and how it has increased interest in the birthplace of country music museum? What are some of the other things that the museum has explored to sort of capitalize on the wider region and pull together the threads that exist along this music trail? The Crooked Road are an amazing organization that works so hard to emphasize and celebrate the music, especially in Southwest Virginia. It's a heritage music trail with sites along it, both large venues, but also smaller sites along it that sort of tell the story of music in this region. The Birthplace of Country Music Museum were one of the major venues along the road, but they are instrumental as a tourism driver for music heritage. We have so many people who come to the museum who tell us that they are following the Crooked Road for their vacation, and that's why they've come to us. We collaborate with the Crooked Road on projects, and they definitely drive tourism to our region through their own marketing and promotional efforts. We've partnered with them on things like concerts and events. For instance, recently we had some Crooked Road musicians that were at one of our farm and fun time shows. We've also worked with them to bring musicians in to do professional development or educational programming at the museum. We also work closely with 
the folks at Virginia's for Lovers to promote tourism to Bristol and the Crooked Road sites. Like I said, for those who don't know, Bristol is on a state line. Our state street is the state line. So on one side of our downtown, it's Virginia, and one side of our downtown, it's Tennessee. So we also serve Northeast Tennessee. And because of that, we connect with their music pathway trail. Two of the sites that in particular we love to promote and talk about are the Carter Family Fold. You know, it's only about 45 minutes up the road from us. And the Barter Theater, which is only 15 minutes away, that obviously is focused on theater, but also does a lot of music promotion and music concerts. And several of their shows have been music-focused on this history. They did wonderful shows about Johnny Cash, about the Carter family. I think they might have done one about Jimmy Rogers in the past. So those are great ways to connect theater and music together with us, and we love that. Any other organizations that come to mind, just partnerships with the museum and ways that you're collaborating to draw tourists to Southwest Virginia? One of them that I've been working with is the Southwest Virginia Experience Museum Steering Committee. That is a newish organization. It is working to create a museum trail of this area, and that is going to be for all sorts of museums, not just the music sites, but working together to collaborate and promote each other. We work with organizations like Arts Alliance Mountain Empire to promote events. We've partnered with King University in Bristol to help host some of their speaker series and also Arts Alliance Mountain Empire speaker series. We work with Virginia Folklife on numerous events. We're also also a Smithsonian Institution affiliate. That's a great draw mm. for tourism in this area. It means that we've been able to tap into Smithsonian resources. We've brought Smithsonian special exhibits to the museum. Another cool thing is our downtown Main Street organization, Believe in Bristol. They are a Main Street organization for both Virginia and Tennessee, and we work with them a lot. And we are so fortunate to have them on our side. They do a tremendous amount of work to promote the historic downtown Bristol on both sides of State Street and to promote the work that the museum does. We work with our local tourism agencies agencies and our Chamber of Commerce. We have a great relationship with Bristol Motor Speedway and with the hotels downtown. For instance, with the Bristol Hotel itself, we offer admission to the museum for their guests. And that means that we're getting those people who might not have known about the museum before they came to town are coming into the museum. We're also looking for ways that we're going to be able to work with the Hard Rock Casino once it's established here in Bristol. This is a podcast for an economic development publication, the Virginia Economic Review. And I've got a couple of questions that might be helpful to the listeners who are thinking about this from, a, from an economic development perspective. First of all, sort of the cultural economy and leveraging cultural assets. How does a musical trail like the one you've described come together? How can cultural organizations contribute to the development of trails like this one? Obviously, there's job creation, not only for the people who are working for the organization, but for instance, think about the musicians that we hire or that any of these other sites along the trail might hire in for a concert or for a program. All of those are independent musicians nine times out of ten. That's how they make their living, and it's really important that they're finding a way to... Mm-hmm share their art more widely, but also getting paid for it. A lot of times artists don't get remunerated for what they do as much as they should do. We've been talking about the tourism dollars that that can bring into a region. Who's coming into the region and spending money that wouldn't be there normally? When you're talking to a chamber of commerce or a tourism agency, what they call heads on beds, the more cultural sites that you have and the more things that you have for tourists, to do in your area, the more likely you are to get those people staying for multiple nights and spending their money at those cultural sites, but also in the hotels and in the restaurants and the service stations and all those places that are part of your local economy. Having cultural sites and having things like the Crooked Road and other heritage trails is about quality of life. If a business wants to start a manufacturing site or they want to start a bigger business in your area, quality of life is one way that you attract those businesses to start up in that area. Those businesses then attract employees these areas and these 
sites and these cultural experiences mean that those people are more likely to want to move there because it means that they can offer a nice place to live. A lot of the way that cultural organizations contribute to that is advocacy. That means talking to legislators about the impact that cultural heritage sites and that music trails and other types of things have on the region. Talk to the tourism sites, businesses, the Main Street organizations, and build those close relationships and partner with them to be advocates for you and to advocate with them, because they're a big part of that discussion, too. They're the ones who are helping to bring money into the region. You're a coastal native and you lived overseas for many years and then came back. Can you talk a little bit about what drew you back to Virginia? We are so lucky. We live in a state that's filled with natural beauty, it's filled with cultural assets, and it's got so much history. All of those are things that I'm interested in. But when I left Bristol to go off to college and then after college when I moved to England, I didn't think I wanted to be back here. The Bristol that I left right after high school was not as vibrant as it is today. Plus, you know, I was a teenager, so I was very dramatic about these things and was like, I'm never coming back here again kind of thing. (laughs) But my little patch of Virginia has developed so much since I left. My main reason for coming back was first and foremost about family. I'm an only child. My parents were getting older. It was getting harder and harder to be so far away while my parents were aging. I thought, you know, I'm going to come back to Bristol and initially just for a a few months and then I'm going to find somewhere else on the East Coast to live, but I'll be nearer my family. But once I moved back here to Bristol, I hit it at just the right time. I got recruited very quickly. I ended up working for the Main Street organization for two years for Believe in Bristol, which gave me a really great connection to my community. And I think that that's key to why I've stayed here and what kept me here is that I made that connection, a conscious effort to connect with my community when I moved back here. I love to be so near the outdoors and the natural beauty. It is so easy to get out into that from where I live. And I just see the potential in Bristol. So much has changed. It's a vibrant, wonderful place, but there's so much potential for it to change and evolve even more. And not just in Bristol, but this region itself. I just see the potential there and it's exciting. Before I let you go, I've got to just ask, what are the best places to listen to music in Virginia? The Crooked Road is a great starting point. If you go onto the Crooked Road website, you are going to see all the sites, and then you can go onto their individual websites and see what music they have. But the places that come to mind immediately, Carter Family Fold, it's huge. Every Saturday night, they have performances there. You're going to always hear great music there. The Floyd Country Store is another great place. Blue Ridge Music Center, the Old Fiddlers Convention in Galax, Blue Ridge Institute Museum, Ralph Stanley Museum, the Southwest Virginia Cultural Center. And then there's lots of smaller festivals, ample opportunity to find music in Virginia. And I've I've mostly concentrated here on Southwest Virginia because that's what I'm most familiar with. Another great way to find out about music and musical traditions in your area is to go onto the Virginia Folklife website because they are talking about all of the music and all of the crafts and all of the art and traditions across the state. And you are going to find, if country music or old time music isn't your thing, you are going to find everything from Calypso music to Iranian music to Mexican folk music. There are so many opportunities to find music and to find culture in Virginia. I just encourage people to really dig deep into some of those websites and start to support these sites because that's how we survive and that's how we grow. And it really matters a lot to have that support and to have our visitors coming through our doors every day. Well, Renee Rogers, thank you for this fascinating and inspiring conversation today. I'm looking forward to seeing you out on the trail. This podcast has been brought to you by the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Thanks for listening.